Let us open our Bibles. Our scripture reading for this morning is from 1 John chapter 2. And the text is 1 John 2, verses 12 to 14. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now by this we may know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing thing is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. And he who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And now our text I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong And the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest, that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either, and he who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Therefore, let that abide in you 
which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it is taught you, you will abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not, being, and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. So the sermon I am about to read for you was prepared by Reverend Rudin Bradenhoff, Minister of the Word at Mount Nazareth Free Reformed Church in Western Australia. After the reading of the Word, we will sing a response from hymn 72, verses 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. Beloved in Christ, we, have always, we all have ways to define ourselves. Things that we say make up who we are. A lot of people will do this by their job. I'm a minister. I'm an engineer. Or an electrician. I'm a mother. Or we define ourselves by our interests and hobbies. I play sports. I love music. I fish. There are many ways to define ourselves. Just think of your Facebook profile. What you choose to see in your news feed or the friends you spend time with. We have another identity too. There's a way to look at ourselves. And it's not what you see in the bathroom mirror or the ID in our wallet. It's what we see when we look in the mirror of Scripture. What does God, who does God say we are? What's our identity in the sight of heaven? In this world, there are only two families. The family of God and the family of the devil. You belong to one or the other. And if we know Christ, then we're children of God. An identity that has everything to do with what we all do. Why does the Apostle John talk about our identity in this text? He's been warning his friends about the dangers of darkness and the necessity of walking in the light. In his days, there was a plague of false teachers who were denying that Jesus had come in the flesh. They were rejecting the one Savior and what he came to do. These heretics had been part of the church, but they, didn't, they really didn't belong and that's why they left. Now imagine that you were part of a congregation that had just gone through a painful split like that. A bunch of your friends, even some of your family members, had gone along with preachers who were saying different things about Jesus. They'd left and not come back. Now you sit in church and there's lots of empty spaces around you. Wouldn't that make you wonder? What if I should have left too? What if they were right and we're wrong? John wants to encourage the believers. After his warnings in chapter 2, he doesn't want them to think he's doubting their faith. He reassures them. And the best way is to remember who they are in Christ. What's their identity in him? That's ours too. That's what we should consider foremost about ourselves. Every day of the week, no matter who we're with, I know Jesus. I'm part of God's family. My sins are forgiven. And my purpose is to glorify him. 
That's our identity, and this is our theme. Through the Apostle John, the Holy Spirit reminds us who we are. The little children of the Father, fathers and mothers in faith, young men and women in battle. So little children of the Father, what we have before us in 1 John is one of those ancient letters that make up the Bible. For this was a letter written by an apostle of the Lord and sent to Christians in the first century. When it was first dropped in the mailbox, the Church of Christ was still very young. So young that some of Jesus' first followers were still going around spreading the word. That's what the Apostle John was doing. Like Paul and Peter, planting churches here and there, then keeping in touch by visits and letters. So let's first look at a few features of our text. First, we see that John makes six statements, and they all have the same basic form. I write to you, or I have written. Second, notice that the six sentences can be neatly divided into two sections, because the three groups of people are both mentioned twice. Children, fathers, and young men, in that order. Or you could break our text into parallel rows, what he says to the children in verse 12 and at the end of verse 13, then what he says to the fathers in verse 13 and the beginning of verse 14, and then what he says to the young men, halfway through 13 and the end of 14. For a third feature, let's notice that in the first half of the text, John says, I write to you, present tense. In the second half, John has mostly switched to the past tense. I have written to you. Why does John do this? probably to emphasize the certainty of what he's saying. He's trying to reassure them. This is what he's writing at the moment, and this is what he's already written and taught them in the past. John hasn't changed his mind about these things. Unlike those false teachers who were distorting true doctrine, no, John reinforces what he's written. Children, parents, young people, this is who you are in Christ. It's not going to change. So who is John writing to? What I mean is, should we picture the apostle addressing three different age groups in these verses? First, pulling aside the really young ones, maybe going into the nursery and giving them a little message, then talking to fathers and mothers, and finally visiting the youth group with a message specially for them. We shouldn't picture three age groups in our text, but people at different stages of growing into Christ. Just compare it to how in every family there are different levels of maturity. And these levels aren't always tied to how old they are. If you look around the dinner table tonight, you know that everyone belongs. But not everyone is the same. One child might be really responsible and another less so. One child might be very trusting while another struggles to do that. That's how it is in God's family too. By faith, we all belong. But through the Spirit, we're at different places in our walk with the Lord. There are those whom the Bible calls infants in Christ, even newborn Christians. There are those in the church who are just learning what the Bible really says. Who are just discovering what it means to believe in Christ. Besides newborn Christians, you have those in a congregation who are more mature in the faith. Sure, maybe they're older, or maybe they just had the kind of experiences that develop a person's dependence upon God. 
Sometimes we speak about people's being old beyond their years. It's often trials that stretch and strengthen our faith, like being sick or facing a challenge in the home. Through the refining of troubles, God can bring a person to deep maturity of faith and give them a wise insight into his word. And then you have those John calls young men and women. He describes their ongoing combat with the devil and speaks of their strength. One commentator calls them spiritual warriors. This is another stage of spiritual growth. That time when we're first full of enthusiasm in doing the Lord's will and taking the fight to Satan. I want to emphasize that the blessings John talks about don't belong only to one group and not the next. For example, when he says to the children that their sins are forgiven, this is also true of the young men and women too and those who are more mature. All who are in Christ are forgiven. And again, when John says to the young in Christ that they're fighting the devil, that is true of every believer. Those who are new in the faith need to resist the devil. And those who've believed for years have to keep fighting on. Even so, Pastor John highlights the message that is most important for each group in, this, in his congregation. He says the thing that each of us need to hear. So let's go back to those who are fresh to the faith. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Verse 12. This is what makes us the children of God. Simply, it's when we believe that God forgives our sins in Jesus Christ. That is the essential message of the gospel. There are lots of other things to know, but this is the precious core of our faith, that sinners can have peace with God through the work of Christ. And when we teach our children about the Bible, that's often the first truth they can verbalize. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. That's a true and a saving message. We mention children, but remember that this isn't about how old a Christian is. Say there is someone in their 20s who comes to faith through the witnessing of a Christian at work. Or say there's someone who grows up as a part of the church, but never really embraces what he hears, not until he's 45. And the Spirit moves him to believe truly. Such believers are just children in Christ. And what will they more than likely want to talk about? That simple yet vital message that John speaks of in verse 12, the forgiveness of sins through Jesus. Some years ago, I was teaching a new believer, someone who had grown up in the Roman Catholic Church, but who had been led to the Reformed faith. We were going through the Belgic Confession together, which he found very helpful. But sometimes, after another session of studying the finer points of providence, the marks of the church, and the sacraments, he would say, why don't we talk more about Jesus? Let's go back to what Jesus said and what he did. That single-minded focus on Christ is good. As John says to newborns in Christ, your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Verse 12. All that you have done wrong, everything that once separated you from God is forgiven, no matter our age or maturity. That's what we need to know. That should always delight us. See how this forgiveness is for his name's sake. In the scriptures, a name is isn't simply what a person 
was called by her parents at birth, but a name stands for the whole character of the person. Forgiven for his name's sake means that we are forgiven because of who Christ is. The whole basis for our being forgiven is God's character, his character of justice and mercy revealed in Christ. Like David prays in Psalm 25, verse 11, for your name's sake, O Lord, forgive my guilt, and God surely will. In the second half of the text, the Spirit speaks to children again. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father, verse 13. That too brings us close to the heart of faith. For think about a little child. He feels most secure when he knows his parents are there. If you take the child away from home or the parents go to Mexico for a week, a child is going to be uneasy. Mom and dad are gone. The security feels like it's been lost. Well, that's how it is for the one who knows God the Father. When we're with him, we're okay. No need to fear. Truth faith clings to knowing that one thing. God is Father. That's something never to lose, no matter our age. The confidence that you can rest in the Father. He forgives you, and he cares for you. And now the second point, fathers and mothers in faith. In a sense, we should all be children in faith. Recall what Jesus says. Truly, unless you change, you become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 18, verse 3. We have been children, yet every child is called to develop. Peter exhorts us to desire the pure milk of the word so that we may grow. In John's congregation, there were new converts, but also those who had been Christians for longer. Says John, I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. Verse 13. Some of us too have the depth and stability of experience. It comes through living the Christian life year after year. They are fathers. In the title for this point, I also mention mothers because that's surely what John intends to say. It's just like when the apostles write in their letters, brothers, they mean to include the sisters. Any church, also this church, will have men and women who've grown in communion with God, who've learned much about living out their faith. John could have been thinking about his own experience here. By the time he writes this letter, he was probably an old man. A tradition says he was perhaps 100 years old. 100 years. That means for nearly 70 years, he walked with Christ and meditated on his glories. Through the passing of time, he'd come to know him so well. To be sure, every Christian knows God. Every believer has learned something about his power and promise. But just because you've been a believer for a long time doesn't mean your faith is mature. Just because you're 40 or even 70 doesn't mean that your knowledge of God is richer and truer. That's because knowing God isn't an intellectual thing, a matter of accumulating facts and data. Knowing the Lord truly doesn't come through just going to Bible study decade after decade. That can be part of it, but to know God is something more, is to have fellowship with the Father that is close and deep. There's an intimacy with God that can't be faked or manufactured, a familiarity that comes through loving him and depending on him. 
It's like when we know someone really well, a good friend or a spouse. Maybe there's someone in your life about whom you can say, even when they're not with you, I just know that he would say this. I know that she'd like this. And you'd be right. You know that by experience, you know it by walking closely with a person. We also know God by experience. We come to know God better through intense times of praying and praying and praying some more. We know God more deeply through being refined by hardships and trials. In those moments and months when we learn what it really matters, his grace and his power. We know God more truly through the lessons of service and sacrifice when we keep giving and we keep loving, not because it's easy or exciting, but because God says that it's right. Maturity of faith is when we say and when we mean it, I know that God is faithful. I know his word is always true. It's another of the blessings of being his child that besides forgiveness, there is this gift of an increasing awareness of God's glory. You have known him who is from the beginning. Verse 13. We grow in love for the one who is from the beginning. So who is that exactly? If we rewind to the first verse of this letter, we see it. There John says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, and which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, concerning the word of life, 1 verse 1. But whom is John speaking here? Jesus Christ, God's Son. He's the one who is from the beginning, but who took on our human flesh, so that he could be seen and touched and then killed. This is the one whom believers can know, because Christ is unchanging. Even as time hurries on, even as our life winds down, even as this world groans and cries with brokenness, we know who's been here from the beginning. Every generation can find their refuge in the Savior who is from everlasting to everlasting. Yes, childlike faith continues, but with it comes a stability and permanence in Christ. A mature believer perseveres because he or she has learned that God in Christ is reliable. And then that mature believer also has a calling. Just like a father or a mother in the home, a father or mother in faith should teach. Modeling what it is to be a Christian by your words, by your witness, by your example, by your instruction, you should point others to the God whom you've come to know. We need this witness. We need fathers and mothers in faith to tell us about Christ. We need veterans of the kingdom to encourage us. Third point, young men and women in battle. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. Verse 13. Now the Spirit speaks to those who are not new to the faith, nor to those who have been seasoned by trial or years of experience. But he speaks to those who are full of energy and vigor in Christ. In verse 14, he says of them, you are strong. Why is that so good that the young are strong? Because they're warriors. They're busy doing battle with the devil. This is the struggle that is particular to them. Let's notice how the Spirit puts us. They're overcoming the wicked one. He speaks of a person, a being. 
We're not involved in some abstract fight against injustice. We're not playing a video game against a make-believe villain. This is real. There is someone out there whose only purpose is to seduce us away from God. Satan is aggressive. He's a terrorist who is trying to injure and kill you and as many of God's children that he can. Now all believers will speak of the devil's power. Even those who have walked with Christ for 70, 80 years know very well that Satan keeps tempting and keeps trying to mislead. Even when the time comes for a Christian to die, the devil can be hard at work, accusing, harassing, getting a person to doubt God's sure promise. So it's not the case that the devil attacks, only attacks the young. Yet the young in faith do face a special challenge. They believe in Christ. They're busy learning his ways from his word, but they're vulnerable. They're susceptible to getting off track. If the devil can just keep them from making a commitment at this stage, if he can just surround them with enough wrong people, get them to marry someone who will hinder and not help their service to God, get them hooked with ways of escape and pleasure and fun, the attacks will continue. It's so good then that this is also a time when God blesses his children with strength. Those who are no longer infants in Christ but are young in faith have an enthusiasm for God's service. They have a joy in the word and a desire to achieve things for the kingdom. Their hands and feet are strong for service. A person in this stage of growth is most eager to take on the burden of following Christ. I see this sometimes when a young person makes profession of faith. They have a longing to get involved, to do great things for Christ. Or I see it when a young man becomes an elder or a deacon for the first time, and he's ready with a zealous love and a spirit of sacrifice. I see it when there are those who have a heart to share the gospel with our neighbors, or to help those who are suffering. That's a beautiful enthusiasm, a God-given enthusiasm, and it doesn't have to fade, but it's a unique time, and it puts the devil on the run. All the same, we could misread our text when it says, I write to you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. Verse 13. Sounds like a done deal, right? Temptations denied, sin under control, victory in hand. But it's all through Christ. It's only through Christ. Because Jesus defeated the devil at the cross. So he can no longer accuse Christ's people of wrong. No more do we live in the shame of the sins we've committed. No longer can this enemy enjoy victory after victory over God's people. Yet know this, Christ's great victory is shared only by those who go to him, go with him. For the evil one is still so strong. When we're in this period of growing faith, in between infancy and maturity, we're simply not able to continue alone. No, that's a guarantee, guaranteed way for you to fail and to fall when you leave Christ behind when you leave him out of your struggles, you can have all the electricity in the world, but if you don't connect to it, if you don't plug into it, you're still powerless and dead. Our power to fight sin is to say no to what the devil is offering. What he's offering is in the bottle, on the computer, in the stores, wherever. It's a power that only comes from being near to Christ. 
You're not weak. If you lean on Christ, you're strong. Look at what the, look at what the Spirit a bit further. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, verse 14. Our triumph in Christ is through his word abiding in us and shaping our life. So the young need to be fortified daily by the promise of the word. They need to be directed daily by his commandments. Think of Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. So take that word and let it remain in you. Beloved, that's the calling for all of us, no matter our age, no matter our place in the Christian journey, to be strong in Christ and to let his word abide. The Spirit wants to awaken us with a sense of the love that we owe God, our Savior. So he says, this is who you are in Christ. As a child of God, you have access to the greatest power. In Christ, you are heir to the greatest treasure. And you have been given the highest purpose to live for his glory. Now go and do so.